Hello and welcome to the Worst Movies We Own podcast. This is my beautiful wife, Natalie, and I am her husband, Bobby. This episode, we are covering Batman Forever. From what year, Natalie? 1995. Holy rusted metal. <laughs> riddle me this, riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big bad bat? Natalie, tell the people at home what the Worst Movies We Own podcast is all about. So Bobby and I are married, we watch a lot of films together, and we have a lot of DVDs, and we have decided to watch the very worst DVDs we own according to the average ratings each film has received on the website Letterboxd. We're hoping some of these low-rated films will actually surprise us and not be so terrible after all. So we're watching each one with an open mind, even the ones we've seen before, hoping for the best. We've not bought any of the films specifically for the project. It's a mixture of charity shop finds, random stuff included in box sets, and films that we've bought that other people just don't rate. Wow. Uh, this is a box setter? It is. It's the four original well, Batman films. Yeah. Uh, and um, do you know what this episode is of the podcast, then? What do you mean? Well, this is a very special episode of the podcast. Is this special? Yeah. Why is it special? <laughs> it's the first anniversary. Oh, and the first one we did was Batman and Robin. Yeah, I know, but that's a secret episode. No one can hear that anymore. Because the sound quality was so bad. Uh, yeah, and we were still finding our feet. Okay. But now we know what we're doing, and we've done uh, Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. Um, neither which film particularly beloved compared to the Tim Burton first two films. The Joel Schumacher's on... Um, Anyone's favourite? I'm going to throw it out there. I'm sure there are people who actually love them, but they're mad. Um, what's your uh, history with Batman Forever? Batman, I remember Batman Forever coming out distinctly because it was it was everywhere. You know, it was one of those films um, where the toys were advertised for months beforehand and afterwards, and they, they were the Happy Meal tie-ins and the the or Burger King, I can't remember which one. I'm sure there was some kind of fast yeah. food tie-in. I, I, I would guess McDonald's, but I don't remember specifically yeah. who it was. And like cups, and the cinema had the plastic cups with the characters on and stuff like that. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah, and you had the two hit singles as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, I don't think I will have seen it until it came out on TV. Okay. Um, but it would have been a massive thing for me when it was first on, premiered on ITV or, or whatever. I, I remember going to sit the cinema. Um, yeah. It was a, it was a, the big release this summer. There's no two ways about it. Mm. And I remember first view of it, first time going to see it. I I really enjoyed it. It hit everything I wanted from a Batman film as a teenager. Yeah. Um. Obviously, it was also quite exciting that Jim Carrey was in it as well because he was just on his ascendant. Yeah. Of his stardom at that point. Yeah. yeah he he was a household name by this point. Um, but this is when he started, like, kind of maybe um, having more control over the projects he was in. Right. What I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to get off your chest before we begin discussing Batman Forever? I have an analogy. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, here it goes. I see this film very much like the soft drink Tizer. Okay. Okay? You want to hear my reasoning? Yeah. Uh, like Tizer. Mm-hmm. Loved it as a kid. Yeah. It's full of bright colours, mm-hmm. <laughs> E-numbers, <laughs> it's fizzy, yeah. makes you feel hyper, yeah. but as an adult, you can see that it's kind of bad for you, it's too garish, <laughs> and if you do drink it, it gives you a bit of a headache, makes you feel a little bit sick. Having said that, I enjoyed this mm. a lot more than I expected 
to yeah. enjoy it. Like I was, I was dubious. I remember watching it not that long ago and just being baffled by the whole thing and thinking it was a real hot mess. Um, so I thought, oh, this is going to be difficult because I'm going to have to shit all over something that I, I know I really enjoyed as a kid. Mm. But I enjoyed it, and I think you know it's the kind of thing that I wouldn't seek out mm. very often. I'll probably watch it maybe once every ten years, but every time I do, every time I have a sip of that Tizer. Mm. I think I will enjoy it. Um, I think the re- we we watched it together last time as we were walk- watching this box set yeah. from teeth to tit. So, 1999, brilliant Batman. Yeah. 1992, brilliant Batman Returns, which is more darker and adult. Uh, and then this. Ugh. And then Batman and Robin, which is always surprisingly better than you expect. Is you know, I think how we came down on it every time we've seen it. This is better than Batman and Robin. I don't think it is, but we can discuss that over uh, the podcast. Okay. Um, what I will say is, again, like you, I enjoyed this a little bit more this time. I think it's because I wasn't watching it within 24 or 48 hours of Batman and Batman Returns. Yeah. I was watching it as its own thing. I was watching it very much more as a Jim Carrey film than I was watching it as a Batman film, in all yeah. honesty. Uh, and in, I don't think it works at all as a film. There's a lot uh, that's bad or overbearing about it and your garish tizer mm. analogies spot on um there's not any one scene of it that is particularly good or bad but it's just a constant flow of sensory overload and mm. y- you just don't care by the end even if the most exciting thing in the world was happening or the plot kind of snapped into place you just don't care because it's it's only got one setting. Yeah, I think it's something where you do just take each scene as it comes. Mm. And whilst it, whilst I, I will now acknowledge there is a plot because now I, for the first time in thirty years or wherever it's been twenty five years, yeah. I understand it. Um, so it, it does tie together. It is like, you know, it doesn't follow on one scene from another neatly and some are better than others and you just kind of have to enjoy it in that kind of like ephemeral way oh yeah it's a very choppy collection of moments most of which have been selected because they might possibly make good trailer moments Mm. rather than they make the most narrative or character sense as it goes along yeah um visually it's all of one piece it does all look like it's um the work of one artist yeah um plot wise and character wise i'd say there's probably about two or three uh conflicting personalities and uh, one big aspect of the film clashes with the newer direction of the film right um and i think that's why i don't like it quite as much as batman and robin because batman and robin for its faults is a big silly colorful overload movie that only wants to be silly and colorful and daft and puffy yeah i think that is what this one could have been yeah had it not been for some of the scenes, some of the storylines and some of the scenes. Yeah. It's still working through kind of the after effects of Tim Burton shepherding the first two films and having kind of a, a vanity credit on this because yeah. he wasn't that involved in in this film as far as I can tell. No. Um, but the, the whole Bruce Wayne duality mm. aspects of the film are there to give a lead character something good, adult to do. Yeah. And what they really do is slow the film down and don't sit in any way well, don't tessellate well with 
all the silly stuff, all the colourful stuff going on. Well, that's it, because the adults who don't enjoy the silliness mm. aren't going to enjoy the film because of the serious existential no, bits. No, you know, no. it's there, there is no point in having it. It's just not for them. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I would say it's either stuff that existed because Michael Keaton was still attached to the project at some point mm. and it was put into attracting, but no, no, it's still a serious role and there's enough... Batman's not going to be overwhelmed by all the new characters introduced when mm. he is. And, or Val Kilmer, yeah, who's the new actor taking on the cow, wanting this stuff so he's not overwhelmed by all the exciting, colourful new characters in the film. Yeah. And he puts in a very dull performance. All things we're going to discuss over the main, sure. main part of the podcast. Um, would you like to tell the people at home what the plot of Batman Forever is? I'll be honest and say, like you, I think I've seen this about half a dozen times. Mm-hmm. Obviously a lot more in the mid-90s than I have in recent years yeah. and I don't think I'll remember the plot of it in a couple of days time much as I haven't before I sat down and watched it again oh for time. me it's not a case of remembering it it's just I must have never actually paid attention to the plot it doesn't matter it's like Tenet <laughs> the plot of Tenet does matter though it's just not very well told yeah but maybe it just takes like 12, 12 or 13 watches to actually understand what's going on in Batman Forever um okay so Batman goes up against his old foe Harvey Two-Face, who has teamed up with a new villain on the block, the Riddler. Uh, They are going around robbing places so that they can finance the production of this TV set-top device, which channels people's brainwaves through their TVs into the Riddler's mind, thus making him all powerful because knowledge is power, etc. He's basically invented Facebook, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's getting everyone's personal details. Yeah, all their privacy. Because they're just putting it out there. Yeah. Yeah, through their brains. Um, so whilst Batman's dealing with all that, Bruce Wayne is dating a Batman-obsessed psychiatrist called Chase Meridian, played by Nicole Kidman, and being an adoptive dad to recently orphaned trapeze artist Dick Grayson, who's played by Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. Um, and they've got nipples. Do they have nipples in this one? Yeah, they have nipples. Spots? Not as prominent, but as... still you can see them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, bumpy. Mm. Uh, Facts and Figures, Batman Forever, 1995, directed by Joel Schumacher, uh, recently passed away. Mm -hmm. He's the man, director famously, who uh, slept with over 20,000 partners. Um, Written by Lee and Janet Scott Batchelor and Akiva Goldsman, who we comes up many, many times in this podcast. Uh, Starring Val Kilmer, Nicole Kidman, Jim Carrey, Tommy Lee Jones, Chris O'Donnell, Drew Barrymore, Michael Goff and Pat Hengel. A radio over Jean-Noir. Yeah, in one scene role. But I get the feeling, because this film's been cut and re-edited and reshaped and lost stuff as it's gone along, does sound like he would have had a more prominent role. I think he was supposed to, yeah. yeah. Uh, as the head of Arkham Asylum. Yeah. And Debbie Mazur's in it as well. Yeah. We're going to start just listing people who appear in it. Yeah. And in the credits, John... If you Fla- could, no, if you, to be fair, if you're going to mention Drew Barrymore, mm. uh, then Debbie Mazur plays the other side of her... Drew Barrymore, coin. Drew Barrymore gets more screen time and is the more famous name. Before and good hours. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Favreau also was in the film, but I didn't see him. No, he he's, was an he's got a credit, but again, sort, yeah. it's been edited to within an inch of its life. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I would have recognised Johnny Fav if if he actually has more than a second screen time in there. Yeah, he would have been thinner back then. Though. Yeah. Um, probably used this money to go fund swingers when he made that. Yeah. Yeah. Release date, 16th of June, 1995, of a budget of exactly $100 million. Uh, 
and it made 336 million worldwide. It's got an intimate movie database score of 5.4, so not good, but not the worst yeah. we've seen while doing this. But Letterboxd give it 2.4, which I think is a little bit more in the money when it comes to this one. Yeah. Um, let's have a little break and we'll get right into Batman Forever. Okay. Natalie, mm. what did you like about Batman Forever? Well, we'll start off with the general look of it, because I really like it. Um, not as much as the Tim Burton style, because yeah. obviously that is classier and it's Tim Burton, so it's better. But it's very, it's, it's got consistency and it's very much its own thing. It's got like the kind of the bright colours. The whole way through, like every scene is lit like really intensely in one colour or another. Yeah. And then... I I'd say more than one colour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes every scene. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes it's just purple, sometimes it's just green. But yeah, quite often there are a lot of different really bright, blocky kind of kindergarten colours. Yeah. Um which is which is nice. And then it's in Batman and Robin, I remember they use the whole day glow look quite a lot. Yeah. Um a lot more than they do in this, but it is introduced in this film slightly later on. Yeah, Robin has a joyride and yeah. rescues a girl and fights a gang of kind of toughs that look like they originally might appear in sort of a Frank Miller kind of Batman comic, but then right. they they were lit up by the UV lights on the day. Uh, there's a credit for um, a company called Knights of Neon. Oh, okay. I think they probably were quite involved in that scene. I don't know if they relate to the Kings of Leon. <laughs> okay. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it looks good, and it's it, it's interesting. That it's not really developed, but you've got this... The, this is what like the teenagers are in Gotham. This is what they like. This is what they're into. They like painting their faces yeah. and bodies in day glow paint and hanging out and spraying graffiti and just having fun. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, I think we said about Batman and Robin as well, these sequences are kind of the better bits of the film in a way. Yeah. Than the starrier bits. Yeah. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it keeps, you know, it it doesn't stray too far away from the, I don't know what you call it, but that kind of like 1930s, industrial kind of capitalist kind of german expressionism yeah. but then on drugs yes yeah it still has that um especially in the buildings like the wayne enterprises building with the very long windows and um kind of sparse uh, his office is very sparse and it's got the, the desk with the patterns on it and stuff like that but it, lo- it looks good you yeah. know thought has gone into these things oh yeah i mean i, I would say if it took more than a second for us to look at the set dressing and the production design it would be a really good element but it's very very busy Mm -hmm. and you know not only do you have these wonderfully crafted uh studios that are only in it for four or five seconds at a time Mm -hmm. but then you know they're lit with colors and beams and lamps within an inch of their lives (laughs) as well and it just becomes a little bit overwhelming yeah, it's possible that if you do have more time to dwell on the sets, they might not look quite as good as they do when you do just get a, gl- a glimpse of them. Mm. Um, the two, two sets in particular that I liked, and I will develop this more because it's something that I liked more generally about the film, are the lairs of mm. the Riddler and T- Harvey Two-Face because, yeah. you know, the Riddler starts... Like, you don't get the background story of Two-Face. He is Two-Face from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, so you just get the origin of of Edward Nigma, um, who goes mad um, and becomes the Riddler. And he lives in this horrible little like, dingy yeah. apartment. Like a railroad cell. part apartment. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but it's it's full of, of 
crazy per person things, uh, which probably gave me nightmares when I was a kid because yeah. I, I had a phobia of insane people. Yeah, it's probably the, the comic book family-friendly film equivalent of John Doe's apartment <laughs> in Seven, but it, the camera never lingers on it too long. Yeah. Look at the jars, look at the jars. He's got <laughs> yeah. lots, lots of jars. Oh. <laughs> um, but, the, but that looks good. And then you see um, not enough of Harvey Two-Face's pad. Because yeah. you only really see it in one scene and you think you'd see it a bit more because they put real effort in, which is it's divided right down the middle um, with kind of like the dark side and then the light side. And he's got his two ladies, mm. Drew Barrymore, who's like an angel, and Debbie Mazer, who's like a devil. Yeah. Um, and, and it looks good. I mean, the, the, uh, should we talk about the baddies? Because the baddies are the best thing about the film. Yeah, I mean, as with all Batman films and even the comics in a way, the colourful villains who are usually the uh, the most famous or talented people in the cast, mm -hmm. do often steal the film. Yeah. Uh, if isn't already theirs to take in the first place, like Jack Nicholson, you know. Yeah. You know, if, if you renamed Batman 1989 as Joker 1989, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it, it wouldn't be far off from the truth. No, I suppose not. Um, well, he, he earned... A lot of money from that film, didn't he? He still earns money, as far as I know. No one knows how far that deal goes, but he gets a he certainly got a percentage of the toys from films he once wasn't in and the box office. So he's a wise man. He's a wise, wise man. What else do you like? Well, I I, I love the baddies in this. Mm. I think the, the the only problem is they're both uh, quite similarly over the top. Yeah. So when they're in scenes together, whilst they've got a really nice chemistry. Um, Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey both screaming at each other and gurning at the same time is, is part of what gave me a headache um, but when they're separate and they're doing their own thing there's just so much energy and like fun and I, I thought Jim Carrey as a red light was hilarious when I was a kid and I still chuckled during this with his his little movements and his jokes and his you know he's, he's, like, he's like the mask and Ace Ventura and He's, he's all put, rolled into one. He's putting 200% in. I, would, yeah. I wouldn't ever deny that at all. And Joel Schumacher's camera and editing team seem to have a lot more time for Jim Carrey, knowing that he's improvising on the script, yeah. he's doing different takes, and sometimes they include more than one take in because they'll just do it as a different kind of improvisation. Uh -huh. um, it does feel like Tommy Lee Jones kind of gets pushed to the background a little bit, um, even though he's this colourful character in his own right and immaculately designed and quite an imposing figure mm. has a lot of the plot to carry he uh, in the first half a lot of the time his lines are edited within an inch of their life so that he's almost not on screen for half the sentence when he's saying things and mm. uh, that kind of calms down in the second half but in the second half he feels more like a uh, an unpredictable henchman of the riddler rather than a villain in his own right yeah, um, yeah. They, I think there would be it would be better if there was more antagonism between the two of them rather than yeah. them getting on so well. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially because uh, they undermine each other and all the time. They're using <laughs> each other to get what they want. Yeah. I think there could be more of that well, later that, in the film. That element of it does remind me of uh, the Batman sixty serial, which this film's trying to readjust Tim Burton's films back towards yeah. in a way. Jim Carrey's very much like Frank Gorshin in mm -hmm. uh, the 60s Riddler, and that's great. It's yeah. really enjoyable. I would say he's not given particularly good material. Uh, there's not a lot of jokes that he says 
that are funny. <laughs> Even though he's fully selling any line he's got to give or makes up in his head. Yeah. I, I, I didn't find myself laughing quite as much at this as I would maybe um, Ace Ventura or Damandara or The Mask. No, I will agree that there are fewer jo- like the, there aren't as many jokes as mm. maybe there should be. But... He's certainly got a lot of good outfits, though. He has. Mm. Though I, I find that kind of green man without the head outfit that he wears in one of the scenes really creepy. Okay. It, it's... Too much lycra. Too much lycra? Yeah, for a kid's film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 I think Jim Carrey's performance is the best thing in the film. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think, as scripted, it's a particularly good role. Um, and but because obviously, I would say, there's definitely the decision by Joel Schumacher or the one of our executives that this is, the test audiences are loving this. Mm-hmm. That he almost gets a little bit too much screen time compared to Batman, Robin and Two-Face. Yeah, the only one I agree with there is Two-Face. For me, this should be a villain's film um, mm. because the the heroes just aren't really bringing it. In mm. fact, you could do away with Batman and Robin completely in this film if you know it ended up just being a case of Two-Face and Rid- the Riddler just doing each other in. I think because of the success of the Wakane Phoenix Joker film, mm. I think we're going to see a lot more villains. Uh, well, Birds of Prey was really yeah, good. Yeah, well. exactly. Um, Harley Quinn, the Joker, and Batman, I would say, is the richest comic uh, book series in terms of there's so many good and interesting characters there mm. that it would be nice to see a Riddler movie but doesn't particularly involve Batman, I know it sounds weird. Mm. Same as Two Face, same as you know, uh, Poison Ivy. Um, yeah, I, I I think we're probably only a couple of years away from uh, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy being in a movie together, seeing as mm. they're such fan favourites of their uh, romance. Oh, that would be in the nice. Comics and the cartoons. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, anything else you liked? Oh yes. Um, I like how um, I'm going to use the word camp. Mm. <laughs> it is. But as well, it's it's quite gay. Like it's yeah. it's you know, um, there's a lot of homoeroticism in it. Um, Should we discuss Nicole Kidman now? Yeah, we can do. Because she's essentially a, a beard, isn't she? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of gayness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the first half of the fir- the second half of the film, there's more of a romance. The first half of the film, she is very sexually aggressive towards Batman, who's got no interest in her whatsoever. The first yeah. time they meet, like and he's just trying to keep her away. Like I'd imagine, a, you know a good-looking gay man probably has to deal with mm. a lot of Joshua aggressive Macau. female attention. Probably has to deal with yeah. stars. Sure. Coming, to, coming on to him. Is he good-looking? I don't know what Joel Schumacher looked like. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't throw anything his way, but I don't think he's an ugly man. I bet he's very stylish because he was like a yes. fashion designer or something. Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, but yeah, sure. <laughs> then uh, Bruce, Bruce Wayne meets her for the first time. And he sees her with her hair pulled back, yeah. boxing, yeah. and he's thinking, all right, maybe she's all right after all. Yeah. And then on the first date, like, he suggests that they go rock climbing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's all leading one way. It kind uh, of ruins it when he starts dating her properly. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say I'm not a big fan of Nicole Kidman. Uh, what? You, I, I, she's in so many films I like, okay? And I think she's a great actress. I find her quite a cold presence in a lot of films. Even... And in this, she's just vampy and sexy, and it works really well. And it frustrates me, but the main purpose of her character is to give Val Kilmer's Bruce Wayne someone to talk to. Because mm. Robin's got Alfred, 
<laughs> yeah. Harvey and uh, Edward Nigma have got each other. Yeah. So, so that Bruce gets enough screen time, he gets to talk to her. But it's literally to talk about his psyche, almost like she's Q and he's James Bond, but instead of a gadget, she's just giving him a greater insight into his duality of man. Again, it's yeah. the part of the film that really doesn't work and it's given far too much screen time when you've got so much more exciting stuff going on and being cut within an inch of its life. That's true. But I wouldn't get rid of the the romance and the vampiness. I would get rid of the uh, psychoanalysis. Yeah. But, I, you know, Batman's there to be sexy. I mean, look at Michael Keaton in the first two films. He's got great chemistry with... Well, uh, Nicole Kidman wasn't cast originally for this role. She replaced someone quite late in the day. Oh, right, did she replace? When Michael Keaton pulled out, mm-hmm. and we can discuss that in a minute if you want to, mm-hmm. uh, originally Rene Russo was cast... Oh. Because to be age appropriate to yeah. Michael Keaton. Oh, that would and be then working really well. Hollywood obviously decided, well, we can't have a younger actor who's Batman wanting to date a woman who's <laughs> maybe five or ten years older than God him. God forbid. Now, even though we know that's ridiculous and Renewal, so it's amazingly gorgeous. Yeah. And probably even suits that role even yeah, better. Yeah, even yeah, even if Batman turns out to be a bit younger. Mm. Um so Nicole Kidman got the role. Uh, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton pulling out of this film various stages changed a lot yeah about the film uh do you want to talk about that now okay okay so uh very batman returns which i think is a wonderful film mm-hmm. uh came in for a lot of flack between tim burton and warner brothers oh. um they saw what he made when he had creative control as being too dark right it made 150 million dollars less than batman which is about Par for the course of what sequels used to make. You know, they used to make about 30% less than the first film. Okay. Whereas these days, a sequel's more likely to make more money than the original. Yeah. Those days, there was a law of diminishing returns. But the bigger problem was there was various scenes like the Joker biting off a character's nose. Yeah. And weird black goop coming out of the Joker. and a certain Penguin. pen- Penguins, thank you, sorry. sorry. Uh, and a sexualised kind of relationship that was quite kinky between Batman and Catwoman. Yeah. That uh, McDonald's saw in test screenings and went, we don't want to do Happy Toys for this anymore. <laughs> We're taking our money back. Okay. So Tim Burton was obviously invited or contractually obligated to make a third film. But he said once he started seeing the title Batman Forever and stuff, it was like something that you might appear in a yearbook or uh, a drunk person might get his tattoo. <laughs> and he didn't like the more toyified direction of the film. Yes. Um, the, producer, the other producer at the time was a guy called Peter McGregor Scott, who had a mandate of making it more MTV generation and fully merchandisable. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, when you see the new Batmobile and stuff, definitely happened with the film. In fact, like, the first couple of seconds of the film are uh, weapons, which Tim Burton never seemed particularly bothered about in terms mm. of Batman, followed by the codpiece shot. Yeah. Followed by a shot of a garish new kind of Batmobile that looks rubbish. Yeah. That has loads of bright lights in it and mm. looks like a toy. Followed by a really bad joke. I'll get drive through. Yeah. You know, had dated by the time the film had got out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it. The first four shots of the film are exactly what Tim Burton would put in the film. Sure. Um, Michael Keaton stayed with the project for a little bit longer. Allegedly, he was offered fifteen million to stay on, um, but when he started hearing about the amount of villains that were going to be in the film and mm. the amount of screen time. And, you know, he just decided it wasn't for him anymore and time to move on as well. He didn't want to be in a big toy commercial. No. Uh, 
at that point, Joel Schumacher had complete control of the project, in theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but various other people got recast. Uh, Billy Woody Williams had to be paid off because he was originally cast. So Billy Dee Williams was going to be Harvey T-Face. Yeah. Uh, and as was Marlon Wayans, originally cast as Robin by Tim, ba- oh. Tim Burton, he was paid off. Not- so the two black actors... Yeah. Well, I mean, there is the other issue that this is not a diverse film mm-hmm. and four of the, I'm going to say, eight black characters you see in the film are prostitutes. Yes. Um, in fact, all four prostitutes are black, mm-hmm. very, which is... Very strange moment in the film where, let's say, 17-year-old Robin decides to go joyriding in the Batmobile mm-hmm. and he decides to go to the red light district to have a look at what ladies might want to climb into the Batmobile. <laughs> Luckily, there's almost a rape, so he gets distracted from that plan. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but the rape victim is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed yeah. girl. I yeah. mean, it is... Yeah, it's a bit jarring for today's eyes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... There was a lot of flux around the Batman uh, Forever kind of pre-production, mm. um, and that's why various other people started to place. Robin Williams was also originally cast as the uh, Riddler. As the Riddler, okay. Because um, he was promised it, because in 1989, when they were casting the Joker and Jack Nicholson was humming in Haru, yeah, they said they'd cast Robin Williams instead, so he's kind of used as bait right, to force Jack to make a decision. Oh. And so it was kind of a peace offering to Robin Williams that you'll play the Riddler in a sequel. And then when Tim Burton pulled out, right. suddenly uh, Robin Williams was no longer offered the, the Riddler role. Uh, he said he got fucked over by Batman twice in interviews. I suppose he got to keep the nose for Patch Adams, so... Yeah, true, true. But, I mean, I think they kind of got a younger, hipper version of what Robin Williams brings to the film in Jim Carrey in terms of there's a lot of improvisation, there's a lot of OTT acting, uh, I mean, uh, he's perfect casting for the Riddler. Which one? Jim Carrey. Yeah, for 1995, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what else did you like? What else did I like? Um, it's specific. Mm-hmm. The lower half of Val Kilmer's face. Because <laughs> it's perfect. Like, it's... When he's got the Batman... I mean, when he's not got the Batman mask and it's still Val Kilmer, he's, he's lovely. But mm. he's got a great lower half of his face. I would say he's definitely got a pair of pursed lips that look like Batman under a rubber mask. Yeah. And we'll discuss Val Kilmer in more detail later on in the podcast. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got a better lower half of his face than George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Anything else you liked? Uh, other stuff might come to light, but I've, I've got a feeling when you talk about the things you don't like, it might remind me of things that I like. That's fair enough. That's um, what happens. I just, I enjoy, I enjoy the colours, I enjoy the look of it, I enjoy the campness. And the fun, but most of all, I enjoy Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, um, I things I liked uh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, always a fan. Glittery. Yeah, she's in glittery skimpies in this, and that's always a good look. Um, I would say the Robin aspects of the film are handled really well. Mm. Probably the closest any of the Batman films ever get to being canon. Like, you know, close to the comics and what happens in them. Right. Uh, the films always try and reinterpret their own twist on and never do a straight adaptation of the various comic book stories or storylines. Whereas Robin becoming Bruce Wayne's ward and partner is pretty pretty good, pretty bang on. I like so, that aspect. It's interesting because you mentioned you think he's about 17, which mm. I'm sure he is supposed to be about that. But 
that's only really occurred to me since you said it. When I was watching it, I see him more as being in his early 20s. And oh, yeah. I find it really weird that he'd go and live with a, a man because yeah. his parents have died and he wouldn't just like get the insurance money and... But that's because we've already seen Chris O'Donnell in films like School Ties and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a little bit unfair. They should have cast someone younger. Uh, but then you've yes. got the awkward thing of a child moving in with a, a single man and then being involved in vigilante justice, which in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, no one backed an eye towards the comics. But I think these days it is a slightly more awkward sell. Oh, I suppose so. But if they, I mean, what they try and do with the history repeating itself and Batman learning from his mistakes about pursuing revenge and what it can do to you and trying to avoid, mm. you know, Dick Grayson going down a bad path and going onto the right path instead. You know, that mentoring aspect of it. Yeah. Um, he could be considerably younger. I mean, yes, he could, he Bruce could. Wayne was a little boy when he got orphaned and he seems to have just been brought up by Alfred and that mm. seems to have worked perfectly well. Yeah, but Alfred didn't take him out to fight violent psychopaths every night. No. Um, in the comics, the current idea of why Robin exists for Batman is a counterbalance. So he has to approach every dangerous situation knowing he needs to keep himself and a child safe. Mm. Uh, but Robin now is Damian Wayne, his son, uh, who's a little bit more uh, darker than previous Robins because he is uh, his mother is a, a Batman villain. Damian Wayne. Damian Wayne. Damien, Damien, oh, Wayne. Wayne. Oh, yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> there, there's a really nice, about 10 years ago, comic uh, story where Bruce Wayne's dead, dead or disappeared and uh, Dick Grayson has to become Batman and everyone kind of notes he's he's very different as Batman. Mm. But there's a real jarring chemistry between him and Batman's child, who, who is Robin. Yeah. It, it, they're really good comic books. They work really well. Okay. Um I'm not, I'm not a fan of the Robin character, generally. Yeah. I, I think, you know... We know why he exists. It's only little boys can feel that they could fight alongside Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I certainly don't think the Tim Burton 2 uh, films suffer from a lack of a Robin. I, I, I agree, but I do think Robin is fertile ground that if you were to make a Batman adaptation, Batman training up a Robin is probably a really potent fertile way to go with the series yeah uh, but obviously the villains always take the take their spotlight and uh so you're just adding extra weight and ballast to a film if you do that yeah um and the other thing i liked is the two hit songs oh, soundtrack yeah. of night night five mm. kiss from a rose seal mm-hmm. hold me kiss me fool me kill me I don't know, what, what are they coming? But yeah. by you two, both, both of them absolute bangers. Yeah, I mean, I bet they struggled at the old cinemas, the ushers waiting right till the end, waiting yeah. for everybody to leave. Everyone was sitting in, yeah, <laughs> both hits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Kiss from a Rose is a standard now. Like, you still hear it to this day. It's, yeah. You, know, you don't hear so much of the Prince 1989, that soundtrack, even though it was best-selling at the time. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, you're probably, fa- I'm going to guess your favourite uh, Batman related song is the Susie and the Banshees song that barely plays in Batman Returns. Which one is that? It's in there. But I'm going to say yeah, even though I don't know what song <laughs> you're talking about. So Natalie, what didn't you like about Batman Forever? Um, well, do you know what? There is, there is a lot that I don't like for <laughs> stuff that I do like. Uh, I'm going to start with the special effects just to get it out of the way and because I'm not going to go on too much about it because... Mm. At the time it is, of course I'm not going to like the special effects because it's like early computer animation, yeah. but also 
if it was if just that was the problem i could forgive it because of the time but whenever there's any kind of explosion or anything the models that they use it's so obvious yes. it's really sort of cheaply we're looking at the gone. last of like kind of miniature work being used in kind of big hollywood productions yeah. unless it's done specifically as sort of look at us doing a retro kind of thing mm. um and because it's such a fake world it doesn't hold up very well no. um helicopter smashing through fake buildings and uh the Batmobile just looks so... It's got, like, a a massive fin on the back of it, or bat wing on the back of it, and yeah. it's so rubbery. That, and the camera doesn't hold on it very long because it looks so bad. Yeah. Uh, if they can put a coloured light bulb in a prop gun or a, a, a vehicle, or, you know, they will, and it makes it all look quite cheap and tacky. I know the reason behind it is to make it look like a really exciting toy that you might want to buy for Christmas afterwards, yeah. but... It makes the film seem very fake. Yeah. yeah. But it is a fake world. It is an artificial world, it's saying. Yeah. But I, that's no defence. I think it looks terrible a lot of the time. I agree with it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think maybe that is one of the reasons why I like the harsh lighting so much when it is there, because you can't really see a lot else. Though there is there is a problem with that, the, the obscurity caused by the lighting towards the end of the film. There's a fight between... Harvey Two-Face and um, Robin, yeah. where you can't see anything. It's just yeah. a green light. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, so that, that, is a, that is a problem. Um, and also, an issue that I remember talking about with um, the Batman and Robin, when we saw that, the, and this is, it must be a Joel Schumacher thing, the diagonal camera work, yeah. it makes me feel sick. It, early comic book movies, away from Richard Donner and Tim Burton, really saw an extreme angle of camera as replicating comic book frames. Oh, okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's not a very comfortable way of sitting through a two-hour film no. when everything's at like, kind of a weird angle. Yeah, no, I, I really I do not care for that. Uh, the, the, it's, I really like Nicole Kidman, and I don't like seeing her in a film like this where she's not being used yeah. to full advantage, though she does look amazing, and especially in that first... Yeah, you enjoy so many of her performances that you quote them almost on a daily basis. And and like I find her very sexy in this and Eyes Wide Shut. And I love even bad films she's in like Far and Away and um, Malice. Or yeah, not quite Uh, as good films. Okay. Um, But I find her when she's doing her A game, you know, doing a role she's really comfortable in as a very cold, flinty presence. Yeah, but there are plenty of very good actresses who have got that as well, that kind of um, coldness to them, like mm. Faye Dunaway, or Catherine Glenn Deneuve, Glenn Close, yeah. yeah. But but I I have the same problem with Faye Dunaway. I don't have the same problem with Glenn Close because I've always seen Glenn Close as a villain or um, a career woman character in films. With Nicole Kidman, she's often sold as a sex symbol in her films, and I find a cold personality not very attractive. Mm. It's a personal thing. It's, you know, in the same way there's actors that I really like that you don't like. You know, still like a modern kid passenger. Yeah, it's a paycheck for her. Um, and I get the feeling with a lot of these people, they're available and they're doing a lot of work with Warner Brothers at that particular point in their career. Mm. And that's why they're suddenly in this film, uh, rather than, you know, it's been, there's been an intelligent decision of, we really want, Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. Do you know who was originally uh, considering Two-Face? No. Mel. 
Really? Yeah, but Braveheart took too long to film, so he couldn't take half the role. Oh, he still had like one half of his face painted, though. Yeah, from the man, the man without a face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I. Uh, but then, having said that, and and I've already I'm repeating myself now, really, by saying this, but I do think that having that kind of like um, weird relationship and sexual tension between Batman and a professional female figure still works a lot better than what they do in Batman and Robin where they start him off dating a Elle McPherson. Yeah. What's that about? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, Elle McPherson started to decide after the first act that it's just Batman and Robin from that point onwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you didn't like? As it should be. Um, the uh, My enjoyment of it is very much weighted to the first half of the film. I find that from the midway point, it does start to drag a little bit. Um, there's like a kind of spectacular scene. Um, yeah, which to is narrow it down because everything's spectacular. <laughs> the penultimate action kind of scene is a, a party. Um, not really sure what the party's for. It's launching Edward Nygma's new version of his box. Oh, okay, yeah. Remember how chopped this up is. This is a this is a film that's gone through the mangle at the editors. Uh, there should have been a biggest. Uh, Arkham Asylum escape sequence at the beginning so they've moved an action sequence involving a bank from the end of the first act to the very start of the film yeah uh, so I'm guessing there's other scenes that have had to shuffle around as well okay well I mean that that is quite an exciting bit and it kind of moves everyone closer towards realizing who's who and people you know uh, achieving their ends and that kind of thing um there really shouldn't be so much then of the filler in between that and the finale yeah because it does it goes on forever that bit well, yeah, like... but then you've got the really trailer worthy moments of jim carrey's riddler blowing up the bat cave oh yeah and uh... but he blows up the bat cave but he doesn't manage to get batman's new suit or the plane or the ship yeah yeah the, 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 i mean <laughs> <laughs> the only suit that survived was this one which was just under a cloak yeah. <laughs> not even have been safe for anything <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it, unnecessary um mm. and chase being kidnapped and her deciding that actually she prefers bruce wayne to batman which is such a difficult decision you know well, let's go for the really good looking millionaire <laughs> after all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know um so yeah it, it did get a bit draggy so by the end you're kind of ready for this to be over now yeah and then it ends on the usual Batman ending of he saves people by using his grappling hook and dangles for a bit. It's a very useful grappling hook. <laughs> <laughs> we should all have a grappling hook. Um, anything else you didn't like? Um, Who would you say gives the worst performance in the film? Who gives the worst performance in the film? Yeah. Apart from the guy who keeps having to say, it's boiling acid! <laughs> <laughs> Sure, I mean. Oh, it's obvious. Are you gonna pick? Are you gonna say Val Kilmer? Val Kilmer's dreadful in it. He's one tone. He's one note. Mm. He uh, he he looks like he's phoning it in. But he's so pretty. I mean, he. I, I I'll give you. He's the prettiest Batman. Yeah. But what about Robert Pattinson? What about Ben Affleck? Oh, he's not pretty. He's not pretty. No, he's <laughs> rugged. But, yeah. I mean, um, but he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a terrible actor. Uh, this was his uh, golden period where he was in a lot of blockbusters, all of which, apart from Batman Forever, he f were failures. 
and he was troubled on all the sets, including this one. So he's never invited back. Uh, he's alright as Jim Morrison. Yeah, that's that's beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, I mean, I think it's a real stinker of a performance. He's he's so blank and non-committal. Uh, true, but he's not exactly given the most exciting. Which is script. why you need a Ben Affleck or a Michael Keaton who's really happy to or able to make turn that kind of blandness into gold. Yeah. Um he's just he's not cool. He's not cool, no. No. No, no. And you know, allegedly on set he was childish <laughs> and irresponsible and Joel Schumacher was very happy he didn't want to come back and do the next film. See they should have just got Mel to play Batman. Because he would have been well, he, was childish, off it but... he was off it in nineteen eighty nine. Oh was he? Yeah. Oh. oh well yeah. I mean still I, I... I would still say that I would have been happy for him to come back and do Batman and Robin because then there'd be greater consistency. Yes, I agree with that. But, uh, you know, I think it was a good thing that Batman and Robin happened and we had a, a very hard reboot of the franchise rather than trying to keep it going with none of the original parts. Yeah. I suppose George Clooney's got a better rapport with Chris O'Donnell. Barely, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think both Al Kilmer and George Clooney are wrong for the role. George Clooney, at least on paper, you can see what they were thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you didn't like? Um, no, not really. I mean, I would say, following on from what I did like about the campness and the fact that, you know, there are, there are gay illusions, mm -hmm. that maybe they should have just gone all out and had had um, either Batman being gay or obviously Edward Nygma is meant to be gay. I think. Yeah. I, I, I get that. I, he's, oh, yeah, because he has got a strange infatuation with Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, and he dresses yeah. like him at one point, and I think that is, yeah, okay. I think he's quite, he's quite keen on him. Yeah, fair enough. He could have been the love interest and the villain, like mm. Catwoman. Like Catwoman, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I would say in 10 years' time, that's going to be a completely uh, normal thing to see in, in Hollywood productions, but... yeah. In 1995, it was, a, it was a little bit ahead of its it time. It would have been ahead of its time, yeah, but still. Okay, let's have a break and we'll go for our regular questions. Mm. Regular questions. Yeah. Who was the Michael Parks of the film when everyone else was putting in, let's say, a muted effort? Mm. Uh, who wasn't pick, just picking up a paycheck? Who was uh, giving it their whole heart? I suspect he was picking up a pretty big paycheck, but I'm still going to go with... Jim Carrey. Yeah, he's not top billed, even though he's the star of the show. Yeah. Uh, I would guess as the production went along, his role grew and took more and more of the focus of both the marketing campaign and the actual film itself. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a Riddler movie. Yeah. Uh, and the, 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 I don't think there's much competition from anyone else either. I, but yeah, I, I, I think everyone apart from Val Kilmer does good work with underwritten roles. Mm. Um, but he steals the show. Yeah, I mean, there's not you, you watch him in the scenes where he's not delivering his lines or he just has to walk across a room. There's just so much going on in his performance. Yeah. His, the way his body moves and his mm. face and stuff like that. You love Jim Carrey. Batman? <laughs> Batman, you say? <laughs> Coming to rescue you? I'm counting on it! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, product placement. Ooh. 
kick the little cash to have their wares on show. I'm sure there must have been something in I reckon this. there must be too, but do you know what? I didn't notice a lot. No. I think maybe Batman Returns kind of muddied the waters just a little bit on that one. There's a lot of tie-ins afterwards. I mean, you yeah. mentioned the plastic cups at the cinema, but yeah. there's the Mega Drive game and the, the hit music and uh, mm. the toys and yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah. There would have been T-shirts and everything of this when we were kids. Riddler question mark T-shirts. Yeah, it's like that Krusty the Clown thing mm. of if you can put the name to it and the face on it, then we will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if there's one change you can make to Batman Forever, what would it be? Um, oh, I've already really hinted at it, but I would have less Batman, more baddies. Um <laughs> Like, but this one and... You sound like a Warner Brothers executive. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the best characters in it, um, in this one, I'd say the same thing about Batman and Robin, which came afterwards. Equally, sort of like big stars playing the baddies and stealing the show. The, these two films, these two Joel Schumacher Batman films should be about the baddies. Yeah. They I... are, but they should be explicitly about the baddies. Uh, I, I agree with that. I... Yeah, the... The overlong duality psychology stuff with Batman really doesn't feel a piece with the rest of the film and slows it down. Uh, yes, it is where the lead actor gets stuff to do during the film, but he's not a very good lead actor. <laughs> I suppose the one argument you could make for having... This has only just occurred to me, because I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking, oh, do we really need to see Batman's parents being shot again and Batman falling into the cave and seeing the bats, blah, blah, blah. But there's even more of that cut out of the film, you know. There's there's shots in the music videos and the trailers of Val Kilmer touching a giant man-sized bat and stuff. Oh right, oh mm. god. Um, but I suppose for a, for a lot of kids, this would have been the first Batman film they saw yeah. because they wouldn't have been allowed to, or maybe it just wasn't on their radar. They I would say for your generation, you could always mark time by what was the first Batman film they went to see at the cinema. At the cinema, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, it's a really difficult thing of, instead of maybe all this psychology stuff that, like I say, doesn't fit into the film, have him train Robin up, have it be a conscious choice mm. and have that be the focus of what Bruce Wayne does during the film and Batman does during the film, yeah. rather than a subplot. His main focus is trying to teach this child how to defend himself in a world of violent psychopaths, but also not to kill. Yeah. So for vengeance to find his life. There is that, Val Kilmer has one little scene where he talks to uh, Dick, uh, Dick Grayson and Chris O'Donnell saying about how, you know, vengeance is a continual cycle. Yeah. It's quite a nice little written bit. It's the one bit of the film that you go, someone put a little bit of time and attention into that bit more than the production design of it or, yeah. the, <laughs> or the jokes. And I, and I think Chris O'Donnell is pretty likeable. This is going to be a good question this week, this episode. In what role uh -huh. would you cast James Spader? Because he could fit any of them. He could, couldn't it's he? It's exciting, isn't it? So yeah. you've got to pick one. Right. I'm going to go with, because I think the two actors who play the baddies are so on point with it. You know, I don't want to replace Jim Carrey or Tommy Lee Jones. I'm going to go with Batman. I yeah. think James Spader would be a nice Batman. I think he'd be an excellent Batman. I think he'd get the darkness of the character a little yeah. bit more better. And, uh, and the sexuality. Yeah. it's uh, He's... And he's an actor who'd be happy to be subtle in the role. Mm. They're happy to to bring his own stuff to it without it being written into the script. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's an excellent call. It's probably done a little bit too much indie stuff after his kind of first burst of fame. 
for him to be in contention. Do you know who was in contention for the role? Who? It could be a couple of interesting names. Yeah. Ethan Hawke. Okay. Who would have been very young at that point. So I don't know what they would have done with the Robin situation. Yeah, I was going to say, you could see him playing Robin at uh, that time. Yeah. But, but he, he, and he had meetings and he said he didn't really like the childish attitude of the film at the time. Do you know did what? Leonardo DiCaprio as Robin. As Robin? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's why he was probably already knew that he was destined for better things. Yeah. But um, Ethan Hawke, I really like, but the bottom half of his face doesn't mm. fit with Batman as well. This is also one of the times Keanu Reeves turned the role down. I think he's offered it pretty much every time. Oh, from really? This onwards. Uh, and I see that. both the Baldwins, Alec and Billy, got offered it. <laughs> Billy Baldwin got offered yeah. it. Who got offered it first? I would guess Alec got offered <laughs> it first. Alec's actually really good casting. I know, yeah. as a person, he probably wouldn't have stayed with the franchise, which is what you want from one of these actors. Mm. But I think he would have made a good Bruce Wayne. I can't see it, personally. I think he would have been quite like Ben, ben Affleck's interpretation of the role. I, but he's mean. Yes. <laughs> 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 to be Batman, you need these balls of fucking steel. <laughs> uh, would you remake Batman Forever? I would not. Um, I think that... Um, I think maybe I would encourage people to maybe watch Batman Forever with less prejudiced eyes. Maybe take Joel Schumacher's Batmans a- as their own thing and just enjoy them for what they are. But no. I mean, what the, what they're doing with Batman now is more exciting than taking a step back and yeah. splashing a load of day glow all over the place. This feels very much of its time. Mm. Uh, and a time where they hadn't fully got their head around what the PG-13, 12 rating, mm. what could be achieved. Because nowadays, family-friendly films are actually quite adult mm-hmm. and really border on being quite violent, but just not showing the gore. Yeah. Uh, whereas this is a conscious decision that all the action's going to be cars blowing up or yeah, things being mangled and destroyed rather than any real kind of bodily damage to any of the characters. Yeah. Um, okay, which brings us to our very last question of the podcast, as always. Is Batman Forever worse or better than Bad Boys? <laughs> I think you might divorce me. <laughs> Do you I like th- it more. I like it more than Bad Boys. And I don't. I think it's worse than Bad Boys. It's a, it's a film with a lot of problems and it has dated, even beyond you know, what it was for us as kids and teenagers. Yeah, but it's, all, it is, it's nostalgic in its its own way now yeah feels like of the time it reminds me of of a of that time there's other mid-90s blockbusters with their own problems like kind of judge dread or the fifth element that are still very entertaining films in their own right yeah but still Mm. (laughs) okay would you like to know what we're doing next episode yeah prehistoric woman I don't know what that is. Oh, is, is that, it Bloody Hammer? It is Hammer Horror. They they made some money with She. Okay. So they just did the same thing again. Yeah, with, with more prehistoric women. <laughs> so that's what we're watching next. Are you excited? No. <laughs> well, you've been doing this for a year now, and some of our hopefuls have been very low. How so. have we got a year without having a Hammer film? Well, we're there now. We're at the Nadir of the Hammers. Oh, God. Because <laughs> we've got a whole Hammer box yeah, there pretty much all of the minute. I might, I might give it away. <laughs> no, no, you can't. We've got loads of these coming up. <laughs> it's like the carry-ons. Uh, <laughs> and the Freddies. All of yours. Uh, 
Do you want to say thank you to the hopefuls for listening over the last year? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary. Um, yeah. Do I need to give you a gift next year? Yeah, you really should have brought a gift. I don't know why you haven't. Um, <laughs> and thank you all very much for listening, um, hopefuls. We have enjoyed very much your company over the past year. Thank you. <laughs>